This is Yolanda Robbins, your host of the Parish Property Chronicles. In this episode of the Parish Property Chronicles, I continue my Beyond Paris series with Donna McDougall, a veterinary surgeon who relocated to Normandy with her partner in 2012 and purchased a thousand-year-old chateau. But in a dramatic turn of events, Donna was unexpectedly forced to navigate the renovations of the property all on her own, even without knowing much French. Let's hear how this Australian native triumphed over tragedy and rediscovered love again, this time on the golf course, beyond Paris, in Normandy, and the Loire Valley. Donna, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Paris Property Chronicles and for sharing your story, as well as your life in France beyond Paris. Can you tell our listeners where you're from in the UK? Well, Yolanda, I I was born in Australia and I moved to the UK when I was 22 after university. And I lived in various places, but mainly I spent about 20 years in Norfolk, about 10 years in, in London, but mostly in Norfolk. Can you tell our Yankee listeners where Norfolk oh, is? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so anglocentric. Um, okay, it, uh, it's about 150 kilometers northeast of London, a very rural area, not so far from the coast of the North Sea. Good communications to London, a reasonable train, and very beautiful place. Where in France do you live currently? At the moment, I live in Sartre, which is in the Pays de Loire, which is uh, about 30 minutes uh, west of Le Mans, where they have the 24-hour car race. But under normal circumstances, how often do you get back to the UK and, and why? Well, under normal circumstances, I would be back there every third week because I'm a veterinary surgeon and I don't work in in France at all. I work one week in three in the UK as an emergency and critical care veterinarian. So usually it's no problem. But of course, COVID has rather changed the amount of times I go back. And at present, I'm not going back at all because uh, of the quarantine situation. So you're staying put in France. Can you just tell our listeners when you're, I presume you have a love affair of France, but what brought you to France and when your love affair of France began? Okay, my love affair with France began after I arrived here. I came to France in 2012 uh, with my then partner, who sadly has died. He spent a lot of his childhood in France and wanted to semi-retire to Normandy, uh, which is a department north of, of where I am now. So uh, I came out with him. I loved him more than moving to France. But I fell in love with France uh, very slowly over that first couple of years. That was in 2012, so coming up nine years ago. Now I wouldn't live anywhere else in the world. Uh, and I have lived in a few places in the world. But France for me is, uh, is perfect. Oh, that's lovely. And just what a beautiful sentiment. You and your then partner purchased a chateau. Yes, we did. In the Normandy region. Can you just tell us a a little bit about that experience and why that region? Firstly, why the region? Uh, Normandy is the nearest part of France to the UK. We were living in the west of the UK at the time uh, in a a beautiful uh, place called Wiltshire. And uh, to travel across to and from the UK to France, it's very easy and accessible by taking a ferry from Caen which is in the north of, of Normandy on the coast, across to Portsmouth in the UK. And how long does that take, that ferry ride? 
Well, the ferry is quite long. It's about five hours, but the driving on either side was less than an hour. And uh, you could do lots of work on your computer in the ferry. If I traveled overnight to go to work, I got a good sleep because the cabins are quite luxurious, well, for a ferry. And Mm -hmm. um, it just worked very well. It it meant I could avoid having to go through the traffic around London. Uh, It was perfect. And then we selected that reason also, not just because of its proximity to the UK, but also because um, it's a very beautiful part of of France. Uh, It's where all the the racehorses are bred, uh, is famous for its cows, its Normandy cows, and its cheese and milk products. And there are no, almost no factories. It's an extremely rural, green and beautiful part of France. The last time I was in Normandy was probably with my mother over a decade ago. So I guess it's time for me to get back there. I, I don't think it would have changed much, Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you went about going about your search and oh, finding yes. this, at, yes. this chateau. <laughs> well, we had absolutely no intention of buying a chateau. I'll say that first. We were after Brian uh, had uh, three sons. I have one daughter. So we did want a property, or they're all grown up, but we did want a property big enough that we could, we also both had horses, so we wanted a property big enough to have land for our horses, some stables, uh, and for our family to all come together. So we needed at least uh, five bedrooms. Really, we were after a, a big old rambling farmhouse hmm. with some land, etc. Now, that is quite difficult to find because in France, the big old rambling farmhouse, which is common in the UK is not so common in France. You have quite small farmhouses or you have manoirs or you have chateaus. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in an area that we really loved, the Pays d'Orge part of Normandy, which extends from Calvados down into the Orne. And we were looking in the Orne region in a beautiful village and we were told there was nothing for sale in the village, but there was a chateau for sale. So we thought, great, that's not what we want. But we went and looked at it, and it had been on the market for a long time. Uh, A sale had fallen through three years before, and the sale was on a sort of uh, try-and-buy type contract, which I've only uniquely come across here in France. And the people had decided not to buy, but it couldn't be re-advertised for sale for three years until that contract expired. So it had sort of been forgotten about. We went and had a look at it and it was just perfect. It was a small chateau, a very old chateau, a thousand years old. It had all the land we wanted, um, stables, well, stables that we turned into stables. The place had been pretty badly derelict for a long, a long period. Although the main part of the chateau, the living part of the, the oldest part of the chateau was very livable. Uh, we found out who had had it for sale. Uh, we walked into their agency and we said, we'd like to see this chateau. And not to seem too keen, uh, we looked at three other places and then made an offer the following week and bought the chateau. So you had just driven by it and then you went to the agency to actually take a tour of it. Is exactly. that correct? But we did walk around the outside. We knew it was n- not inhabited. So we we walked around the fields and uh, the outside of it and then found out who actually Uh, was the person to go to to buy it. And uh, we went to the agency, which was in the local village of Vimoutier. He showed us around the the chateau and uh, we made an offer the following, I think within a week, and signed the contracts, the uh, compromis, in, I think, three weeks later. Mm -hmm. 
But of course, we didn't want to buy a chateau. But you ended up buying one. We did. (laughs) (laughs) So you found this property, a chateau. Can you just describe it to us? The land was wonderful. Rolling hills uh, in this beautiful Pays and the word Pays means country of the troughs, and that's exactly what it is, this rolling, hilly countryside uh, with lots of uh, green grass, perfect for the horses. We spent a lot of money putting beautiful personal rail fencing up. The main part of the chateau, as I said before, was very livable, um, cold, but very livable. The ceilings were five and a half meters high, uh, which meant that it was very difficult to heat the rooms without a great roaring fire. The part of the chateau that wasn't imminently livable, so the newer parts, which were from the 16th and 17th century, because we were living in the bit that was a thousand years old, that had to gradually be restored. And uh, it was during that time that, or very soon after we bought it, that Brown got very sick and he died. Mm. I was left uh, holding this um, thousand-year-old chateau that needed an extensive amount of work done on it, still working as a veterinary surgeon on a part-time basis in the UK and really not knowing what to do. So I sold my house in the UK to fund finishing all the improvements at the chateau, but needed some way to keep this enormous structure paying for itself. Right. So even through all of this, you were grieving, you ended, you, you made a decision that you were going to continue the life that you had started in France. It's just a very admirable and, and a source of strength for someone to actually move forward based on that experience. Yes, it, it was without doubt one of the most difficult times of my life. There's no doubt about that. Um, but strangely enough, you know, I, I had this thing that I couldn't sell it the way it was because we had started the renovation. I didn't want to sell it. Uh, it was full of memories and plans to go ahead. By this time, I'd fallen in love with France anyway and didn't want to live back in the UK. So uh, really, although, you know, I was grieving and everything was bad, though it became obvious that the thing I had to do uh, was to continue with this project. But the chateau had to pay for itself um, just to keep it functioning with the oil, cost of electricity. uh, That alone was 60,000 a year. Without starting any improvements. So I thought I was so attracted to the building. It was such an amazing place in the most exquisite location. Surely other people would want to come here as well. So for the first time in its thousand year history, um, I started a chambre d'hôte and, mm. um, and invited people to come and stay. And as luck would have it, it was, um, it was instantly a success. And I had a lot of people coming through the door. Were you able to finish the renovations before you opened your doors to allow guests to stay? I finished uh, two more bedrooms. So with the chambre d'hôte rules in, in France, you can't have more than five bedrooms and still be a chambre d'hôte. So I had three bedrooms. I had to renovate two bathrooms, well, put two bathrooms in the old part of the house for the bedrooms that were there. And then I renovated the immediate piece of the house that was joining on to the very old part and uh, put two new bedrooms and bathrooms in there straight away. Uh, So I was able to open that part, and strangely enough, and it was lovely, that part was finished and fine, and strangely enough, the the guests 
kind of liked walking around. I should have supplied them with hard hats, I suppose, but they, they kind of liked seeing uh, the restoration of the rest of the buildings while they were coming. But it took two years uh, to finish all the restoration. And for the two years while I was doing that, I was operating it as a chambre d'ode. And um, it, it worked. It was okay because I was able to, it wasn't the whole building that was being done. I was able to do it in stages. And as the stages progressed, it, it didn't interfere with the business side of the house. Absolutely. I mean, if somebody came to stay at the chateau and then they saw this beautiful property, it would be like visiting a museum. The history was fantastic of the house, and there were some wall paintings, uh, as they did in those days, still remaining on, on in the main salon. One from the fourteen hundreds, and one from the thirteen uh, hundreds. It had a long history, but the, the probably the thing that the French in particular liked was that uh, Charlotte Corday, who was a famous French heroine or assassin, whichever way you want to think about her, uh, she can be both. She had lived in the house, and uh, her uncle owned the house for a period of time. And uh, she, of course, was the person who um, stabbed Marat to death in his bath in Paris just after the French Revolution started. And they credit her with having uh, brought about the cessation of the mindless uh, and extreme uh, uh, guillotining that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she she was quite interesting. I had one very interesting guest. Actually, they were from America, and uh, they knew the history of Charlotte Corday, and that was one of the reasons I came to stay at the house at the chateau. And uh, they said to me, uh, "Our uh, suite has a has a bath." And I said, "Yes, yes, yes. You, you you booked one of the ones at the top of the the building that has a bath." And the wife turned to me and she said, "Do I have a knife?" <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> it's very cheeky, huh?" <laughs> uh, so it, I enjoyed very much the clients. I didn't have time to mope about my situation. I, uh, you know, I I just had to move on, and that's exactly what happened there. And how long did you run it, the chateau, as a business? I ran it as a business for four years, and um, the work was too much. And I was missing my work as a vet anyway, because during that time, of course, I wasn't working in my normal occupation. I was, um, I became a, a, a hostess for a BNB. It was too big for me. Uh, I didn't want to continue running this business because I found it physically exhausting and mm. not really my goal in life. It had come about as a way to keep the, you know, everything afloat during this time. Uh, so I sold it in 2018. Uh, to um, a couple from Paris uh, who immediately closed it as a B&B and it became their weekend home. So you decided to move on. Where did you move on to? I didn't want to move too far because, of course, I had a, a group of friends and I'm a great golfer and um, I was a member of a local golf course. So I bought a exactly what we had been looking for in the first place but couldn't find, and that is an old farmhouse on the side of a hill uh, with three hectares, uh, about uh, 20 minutes' drive from the chateau. And uh, But then this time just not in the Pays d'Orge but in the Swiss Normand part of Normandy, which is another beautiful area. And, uh, and then I started um, my work again as a veterinary surgeon, uh, but this time uh, only going back every every third week. So two weeks living in my home and one week working back in the UK. 
And so it was really just to live, just to enjoy being in France. Did the property require any renovations? Yes, it did. And I'd sworn that after the chateau, I would never again renovate a property. But of course it did. Famous last words. I know. It goes <laughs> on, honestly. And uh, this lovely house had been split into two um, houses because uh, it was owned by the father uh, and he wanted his children all grown up to come and visit him more often from Paris. And so he had tried to make it into two separate properties. So a wall had been put up between the two halves. And uh, so I immediately took that that down and uh, completely restored one half of the house. Yes. And how long were you in this house? Two years. <laughs> what happened during those two years was that I met um, a lovely man uh, who also played golf and uh, he lived in Le Mans. When you own a golf course, which is what he does, uh, summer is a very busy time. Uh, he was there at the course all the time. And so I had to travel down to Le Mans to see him because it, it really wasn't practical for him to come up and, and see me because he was running his business. So the journey between uh, and Le Mans, the, the, this department now is south, is just below the department of Orne, which was where I was living, but it's still 100 kilometers away. Hmm. That's that we call that a very long distance relationship. Yes, but I was I was spending a lot of time in South and less time in in my home in Normandy. Although I loved that house, it was impractical uh, for us to be together and um, and to continue our relationship while we lived yes this distance away. So I put it on the market and uh, it sold extremely quickly. It sold in four days. Mm. Um, to, again, a Parisian couple, but this time who wanted to make it into a yoga retreat. And uh, I then bought this house that I'm now in, which is an extremely old manoir. This one, not a thousand years old, but from the 13-1400s. And can you just describe a little bit about this property? This property is a, a typical of its type in that it's an L-shaped building with a tower staircase in the corner. It is not big. It is certainly not a chateau. Um, it's about 300 square meters, but on three floors. And uh, the rooms are square, which I just love because there's something very nice architecturally about square square rooms. And uh, I'm just at the beginning of restoring this one because it needs a lot of work, including <laughs> the roofs. And I promised myself that I would not ever take on another restoration job after the last house. And here we are again, waiting for the builders to start on the 1st of April. But you've done this before. So yes, this should be a process that you can definitely piloter or, or, yes. or gérer or manage. I, you know, I forgot to ask. You and I are new friends. We met um, yes. last year during the pandemic yes. uh, because of mutual friends yes. uh, in Paris. Do you speak French? Uh, no, I can order in a restaurant. My other half uh, says that I'm hopeless and he's right. But I can understand very basic French. But I do have quite a wide vocabulary in building terms, which mm. I learnt at the Chateau. So I can talk to a plumber and an electrician and a charpentier and a masonry and be understood. And I have a dictionary of building terms in French, which is exceedingly useful. Of course, this time with this uh, property, uh, Jack is a Frenchman, and um, 
He has been doing lots of translating for me. And I have to say that although the work hasn't started, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about what's going to happen here. Jack, is he, is he also, besides owning the golf course, or is that his primary business? That's his primary business. He's, had a, a, he's been involved in many things before that, but this is his retirement project. Uh, he will retire in a few years, as I will. And um, he, he's a great golfer, has a very low handicap, and it's the perfect thing for him to do. <laughs> the three different properties, how far are they from Paris? Okay, the, the chateau was a, a good two and three quarter hour drive, actually a little mm-hmm. less, two and a half hour drive from Paris. Uh, once you got on the motorway, it was very fast, but because it was in a, in a very rural area, of course, you had your winding little lanes at the end, and that takes time. The second property, which was the farmhouse on the side of the hill, took a good three hours from Paris um, because it was further west. And now here in Le Mans, of course, the connections are incredible. And I can be in Paris on the TGV in under one hour, which is extraordinary, and by car two hours. And uh, so so actually, for me, uh, I can get the opportunity to go into Paris and see my friends uh, very easily from here, much more more, uh, uh, efficient travel-wise than where I was before. Uh, And also... Uh, it's a little further for me to travel for my commute to work, uh, but it, it adds uh, three quarters of an hour to my commute. Uh, but considering I only do it once every, you know, one week going there and then a week later coming back, uh, it, it doesn't bother me, the drive. You know, I listen to some good music and um, and rest on the ferry on the way over. Since the um, expiration of, of Brexit, how does that change your status in France, if it does at all? Well, I'm, I'm very uh, lucky because I came over in 2012 and then I ran a business here. So I became fully enmeshed in the France tax system. I became a French taxpayer. I got into the French healthcare system. I have a Carpital. I changed my driver's license to a French driving license way back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, before Brexit happened, we were warned uh, for a couple of years, that uh, we should really t- get a carte séjour, which we would then replace it with a a, a Brexit carte séjour, uh, which only applies to Brits. Um, so I was fully in the French system. I had a long-term permanent carte séjour. So when Brexit happened, apart from going on the computer and uh, clicking into the transfer to this different sort of carte séjour, it has had no effect on me whatsoever. So you're basically a resident of each country. That's right. I'm a French resident. I hold a UK passport and I hold an Australian passport as well, which I don't use very often. Yeah. Do you plan to, it sounds like it's not really a necessity, but do you have any thoughts about applying for French citizenship? Well, in order to apply for, I'm 62 now in, um, I was told that after 60, you don't need to do this language test to apply for a French passport. Um, but I understand that now you do have to have quite a long conversation, a long interview in French um, mm-hmm. to obtain your French passport. So when the language improves, yes, it's the first thing I would do. Definitely. Well, you have your own uh, have my private own. tutor. Yes. <laughs> so he loves he loves speaking in English because, of course, his English is getting a lot better. And my French is not really moving at all. <laughs> It sounds like you uh, certainly envision staying in France, but do you envision yourself ever living in in the capital, in Paris? I think uh, 
when I'm older, I'd like to stay here. Or we would like to stay here as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack's the same age as as, as me. Um, but when we can't make this, we have a Colimasson. Uh, we have a, a, a stone spiral staircase here in this house, and uh, I insist we put a handrail in at some point. But I can't see us getting a stair lift, a standard stair lift, to get up the spiral staircase. So when we find we can't manage here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the capital is calling us. If not Paris and the Ile-de-France, um, the Saint-Germain region where there are lots of golf courses. Uh, but yes, I can see us moving to the capital. To be closer to services, as you said, to be closer to more. And more, friends. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Yes, I can see that happening. Since you've done it three times, mm. can you tell our listeners who are interested to purchase a property in the French countryside and you've you you purchased and you renovated and you sold. If you have any tips for for those who are interested to do the same, I think the most important thing is to locate your area, and then have a very open mind because you can buy properties here that need renovation that are very well priced, and as long as you are prepared to have six or twelve months of mild, and for me it's only mild, but then I. I don't mind living among the dust and dirt of it all. Mild inconvenience, you can often get the most spectacular property that suits Mm. every aspect of your needs. If you're looking for something that's already restored and pristine, I think you will be searching for a long time. Everyone has their own taste and their own feelings about what they think is essential in a property. Some people want very, very modern bathrooms or a very modern kitchen. And in the countryside, certainly for a character property, which is what I love, you're going to have to do that yourself. My advice would be in the countryside, because this is what I've done and what I know, I suppose, find something that you love and then be prepared to put in the changes that you want. It's really not so difficult. It's not so difficult to find people. It's not so difficult for the work to be done. You need to have insured and uh expert builders, don't cut corners with, with builders, and um, and you can get the property of your dreams here. Oh, that sounds like a lovely sentiment. Donna, I want to thank you so much again for joining us today on the Paris Property Chronicles, for sharing your story, your love story, actually, the love of France and your newly found love story, and wish you all the best in living in France beyond Paris. Thank you so much, Yolanda. I'm Yolanda Robbins. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Paris Property Chronicles. Property tailored for you.